Welcome to We'll Ride for Wine, a podcast about wine, writing, and song, but mostly wine and writing, with your hosts, Samantha Graves and Lonnie Diane Rich. Take it away, girls. Thank you, Wanda. Welcome to We'll Write for Wine. This is Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Samantha Graves. We're here to talk to you about wine and writing. And today's episode is on craft. We don't need no stinking antagonists. Nope. <laughs> and not only that, we're in the same room. <laughs> we can actually, like, see each I other. I know. Drinking the same wine. <laughs> Very, very fun. Yeah. We decided to have like a girl's day in. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's been so, so much fun. It has been. I brought my crocheting a lot along <laughs> and um, swore about <laughs> a blues like a sailor. It's supposed to be relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it is. Just wait. It's, yeah. You I know. know. And I'm we waiting traded for the relaxing. Too, yes, and I got did. a wonderful Will Write for Wine messenger bag, which I am so excited about. I literally jumped up and down. I was like, <laughs> and I got a great bottle of wine in my own personal wine, wine cozy. cozy. Yay! <laughs> yeah, so, so excited. Been a very good day. So yeah, we I made know. brownies. We made brownies. We just, yeah, so all we got to yeah. do is survive. The kids are going to come home in a couple hours. All right, so first we have to talk about the wine that we're drinking. I know, and we're having the same wine, which is really fun. Which is very fun. So today we are having a 2006 Cartilage and Brown Pinot Noir from California. And we'd like to thank them for printing the website on the bottle. God bless you. (laughs) In fact, it says, please stick your nose in our business. (laughs) www.cartilageandbrown.com. So yay for them. Yes, and Kim asked about Pinot Noirs on the forums, and I didn't realize that I'd already tried the 2005 Cartilage and Brown Mm -hmm. until I pulled the bottle out. So it's interesting to see the difference between the years. Mm -hmm. Not that I remember what the 2005 tasted like, but it got four glasses. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. So the wine notes are, this silky Pinot Noir is Mm. redolent of plum and berry with notes of Asian spice and anise. Cool. All right, so what do you think? I love it. I love it. It is really. It's a nice. I really like it. It's a nice subtle wine. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know about the Asian spice because yeah. again, I have you know the palate of a truck driver. I just think nothing. <laughs> Not no offense to truck drivers. Did you have the apology list? Okay. Oh crap! <laughs> <laughs> She's looking for her pen. I have to find my pen <laughs> to start the list. <laughs> to start the apology list. I think I got it right here somewhere. But um, I think it's really nice. It's very subtle. It's. Um, it tastes really yummy. Wait, and oh, it's wait. smooth. Here's a pen. Yay! And go. it actually, I think, actually has some, uh, some a decent body to it. A it lot does. of Pinots mm-hmm. can be very, very light to mm-hmm. the point where they taste sort of like Kool-Aid. Right. Mm-hmm. But this actually has some body to yeah. it. I really like it. So. I like it a lot, yeah. too. So I, what do you I, think? Four I and a half? Four and a half. Yeah, yeah four oh, and a half. Dude, Ooh, we're totally making a cool. Yay! Four and a half glasses. <laughs> 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 All right. And uh, we also have another bottle in the wings, <laughs> just in well, case. Right. I mean, it's two people in one bottle. <laughs> I know, I know, because there's nothing worse than running out of wine before your time. Really, exactly. I know. <laughs> and now we, now that we know what we're drinking, uh, it's time for shout out, shout offs, and announcements. Right. So a shout out goes to Susan on the Whiffer boards, who got herself all good and knocked up during <laughs> Nano this year. Woohoo! We got a Whiffer baby coming in August. <laughs> Congratulations to Susan and, you know, Susan's Mr. Susan. Yep, Mr. Mr. Susan, Susan. yes, yes. Congratulations to you too because you're involved there. And uh, also a shout out to Wayne, who Mm -hmm. is our, you know, 
brewer guy. He's going to brew up a whiffer thing for I us. I know. A whiffer, whiffer cider. So cool. A whiff of cider. <laughs> <laughs> but when Susan needed something to get her through the long, wineless months to come, mm. he came up with this great, what's it called? Knocked up whiffer? Knocked up whiffer drink. <laughs> Non-alcoholic cocktail. <laughs> And the recipe is up on the forum. So I'm telling you, you guys got to get to the forums. This is where all the cool stuff is happening. So congratulations, Susan. Yay. Mm -hmm. And I have a shout off to winter. (laughs) It's the first month and I'm done. (laughs) I'm like, I already had it. I'm like, you know what? You know... It's just already, already. And now, (laughs) and this weekend, we're going to have like two storms converging an Alberta clipper. See, I don't look. And uh, what's the one that (laughs) comes up? What's the one that comes up? The The the, nor'easter? The nor'easter and Alberta clipper are going to collide directly over the top of us. (laughs) You know that's not going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm on the very edge of the Tug Hill region, which is basically like, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, where all the snow hits. All, all the, the snow hits. Snow. Oh yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Last so year ready. I was, <laughs> I was like six feet of snow, and then literally you go two <laughs> miles south of me, and there was like a foot. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Somebody should have told me this before I bought this. <laughs> all right. And on that note, let's go ahead and refill in the same room. Yahoo! <laughs> we'll be back in a minute. At Will Write for Wine, we take our civic responsibility very seriously. We don't want anyone getting into any trouble just because we made drinking wine look cool. So we'd like to make the following statements. We are cool. We just happen to be drinking wine while being cool. It's not the wine that's cool. It's us. And you, of course, because you listen to us and you're obviously in the top 1% of cool. So you should be happy about that. And that's it. That covers it. But the public service announcement is scheduled for a full minute. So... Underage people get a Pepsi. No soup for you. And if you're planning on driving tonight, put the glass down. Not worth it. Also, never pluck your eyebrows when you've been drinking. That's a handy piece of advice. Oh, and if you put a bottle of Chardonnay in the freezer to chill it quickly, set a timer. A loud timer. Trust us, the last thing you want is a bottle of Chardonnay exploding all over your veggies. And if you're over the age of 35, no drinking games. You're going to have to trust us on that one. Okay, that's it. Time's up. Just remember, it's not the wine that's cool. It's you. Welcome back. This is Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Samantha Graves. And this is Will Write for Wine. Woohoo! In the same room! (laughs) Yay! It's time for this week's listener question, which comes from Mary Shenton. Anyway, Mary writes, I've heard people talk about using tarot cards. I know that there are people who read tarot cards, but where do tarot cards come into play in writing? Well, as you probably know, if you've listened to our... Mm uh, our Im- improv, improv nights. Mm-hmm. Um, we I use the Osho Zen deck, mm-hmm. and uh, this deck isn't really a traditional tarot card mm-hmm. deck. It's more of a transformation deck. Mm-hmm. Um, it has 79 cards, and they kind of go through the full gamut of emotions and, and issues and experiences and journeys and, yeah, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. for people so um so i love to use that deck mm-hmm. um i will i will actually do a tarot reading on each of my characters right. one at mm-hmm. a time i'll think about the character i'll do the it's a diamond there's one in the center and then there's uh the center one is is the main issue mm-hmm. the one on the left is the internal conflict the one on the right is the external conflict the one on the bottom is what is needed for resolution and mm-hmm. the one at the top is resolution mm-hmm. and what that does is is it kind of gives me a little bit of insight into the characters mm-hmm. and maybe makes me think about something that I didn't think about before mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's very helpful for that and I will do that for each one of my characters I will write down the results because I have no memory <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
But a lot of times I find, and this is interesting, there's one card, card uh, called The Outsider, mm-hmm. which is this little boy who's standing at a gate, mm-hmm. and the gate is closed, mm-hmm. and there's a big padlock yeah. um, on, on the door. But um, what he doesn't notice is that the padlock is actually open. All mm-hmm. he has to do is take the padlock off, and he can walk through. Mm-hmm. But it's called The Outsider, and it's a card about uh, characters who feel that they are outside of normal um, mm-hmm. society or, or, or uh, out of relationships or something like mm-hmm. that. And I get that card all the time. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. At least one of my characters will have that card. That's really, really yeah, neat. Out of 79 mm-hmm. cards. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting because a lot of the characters that you write actually do have that. They're all kind of rogue. Right. out on their own, which is really kind of neat. And that's right. a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a more traditional deck. The deck that I have is a goddess deck. And it's got the traditional tarots, which are um, 22 major arcana. The major arcana are kind of cards like uh, Sam was describing for the Osho Zen. Is that they're cards that sort of talk about the, the general journey. You know, like a 22-step journey from fool to the world. And um, where you start out not knowing anything about what you're getting into, you're just kind of going down the path. And then the end is where you com- you complete the journey and you understand everything that you've gone through, you know, the steps along the way to get there. And then there's the minor arcana, which actually the regular card deck is based on. There's four suits, um, you know, and there's, um, you know, the 10 number cards. And then um, in tarot, there's four um, court cards, which are the um, the page, the um, knight, the queen, and the king, mm-hmm. right? So... Um, so those all represent different stages of different types of like there's the the suit for um, coins pentacles that's money um, then there's the cups that's love that's, that correlates to the hearts in, in a regular deck and um, spades um, or swords uh, which are about you know fighting and war and kind of any kind of struggle that you go through to, to accomplish a goal and then there's wands which are sort of like the spiritual sort of more side of, of that part of the journey so you can do um, a regular tarot reading the way that you would do for a person but you do it for your characters and you kind of get a feel for what they're they're going through there's a number of different things that you can do and um, if you go out and get a tarot deck and just kind of start playing around with it um, and playing around with uh, doing the different layouts and everything you can sort of get a feel for how that can help you mm-hmm. um, kind of access that creative part it may help you look at in the same way that tarot cards essentially help you look at your current situation in life from a different perspective they can help you do that with your fiction as well and so that's why a lot of people do that a lot of people turn to tarot cards for that so right very cool yeah. awesome question thanks great Mary. question yep to get your question answered on the show email us at feedback at willwriteforwine.com and now for this week's we recommend segment Right. This is where we recommend our favorite things, TV shows, movies, websites, whatever, and share them with you. So what do you have this week, Lonnie? Well, I will tell you, in, in the spirit of Christmas, or whatever holiday, you know, mm-hmm. that's you, right. you celebrate. That you, yes, that's right. Um, I'm going to recommend USPS.gov. That's mm. the United States Postal Service. And one of the things that you can do, which I discovered after I moved out here in the middle of the boondocks of the nearest post office, (laughs) like forever away, um, is that you can go on, if you have a a scale that will weigh, you know, your package and then measurements and everything, you can print out all of, print out and pay for all your postage online. Yeah. You print it out, you tape it to the box, you put it out, your mailman comes and picks it up at your door (laughs) and takes it away. And then you don't have to go and stand in line. I know. So I heartily, heartily, heartily recommend... Um, USPS.gov mm-hmm. for all of your holiday shipping needs. 
That's right. It's practically a commercial. It is. It is. And also, I don't know if your uh, mailman does this, mm-hmm. but I also live out in the country, right. so I have a mailbox. Um, but this time of year, they do a food collection. They do a can collection. Oh, yeah. So yeah. So I'll get a postcard and says during these days, we'll, we will be collecting food uh-huh. uh, for for uh, for the people who need food, right. and um, mm-hmm. and and I think that's a really cool that thing. Although cool. I see, mm-hmm. I can just imagine this guy in his car right. with like the whole back seat. <laughs> do you have a guy in the car? Like that's the thing. The first time that's yeah. ever happened to me moving out into the country, and they don't have oh, yeah. like regular mail trucks. No, they have like some chick like in her SUV. Car. She yes. has a little light that goes on the top, and she's just driving around. <laughs> well, what's really funny is that they're like sitting in the middle of the seat, and right. they got one hand on the steering wheel. It seems to me <laughs> and they're shoving a mail in the box. Yeah, it seems other. to me yeah. like a little risky. So I say, go, you postal workers out there yeah. in the country, where they don't even give you a truck. Right. They're I like, know. You know what? You got a car with a back seat. You're in. You're hired. <laughs> All right, and I'd like to recommend the Muppets Christmas Carol movie starring Michael Caine as Scrooge and Kermit the Frog as Bob Cratchit and Miss Piggy as Mrs. Cratchit and the rest of the Muppets. Now, this does not sound like a movie that should work because it's got the humans and the Muppets all together, but it really really does work. It's one of the best. And, you know, it is so sad. I've never seen it. It's so funny. We're going to watch it today. It's so funny, yeah. It came out in 1992, so it's 15 years old, but it's still hysterical. Uh And... And we will sit down with the kids as a family and watch this movie and just laugh ourselves silly. Even though we know every single line, right. it's still so well, see, funny. See, that's how we are with the ref. Now, let's take yeah. a look. <laughs> Sam's family Christmas. Everybody gathers around and they watch the Muppet Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Lonnie's family Christmas. <laughs> everybody sits around and they watch the ref where they say things like, Your husband ain't dead, lady. He's hiding. <laughs> <laughs> up the v-blog in the same room don't go anywhere we'll be right back a sexy international art thief with a license to steal and a past she can't escape an ex-cop with a murder to avenge and nothing left to lose a calculating killer launches a deadly game From the heat of Havana to the streets of New York City, the race for justice is on. Sight unseen by Samantha Graves, now available at a store near you. Thanks for coming back with us. I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Samantha Graves. And this is We'll Write for Wine. In the same room. In the same room. (laughs) (laughs) Tonight's show is We Don't Need No Stinking Antagonist. Right. The antagonist is a huge source of both pain and controversy in writing. (laughs) So we thought we'd talk it out here. Now, this is mostly going to be more discussion and a debate. I mean, all the best answers are come to when you argue them yourself, in my opinion. Whether you really believe in what, just to argue it and kind of talk it out and ask questions it's really how you kind of figure out what it is that uh, that you need to know what it is that you need to understand about it in order for your writing to work um and i don't think either one of us is really claiming to have the overall answer here no we don't <laughs> so join in the argument mentally and figure out what you think the answers are and those will be the right answers for you right all right, right. so now we were talking about this earlier yeah um and that basically we we've kind of got two kinds of antagonists that mm-hmm. there is a overall book antagonist right and then an antagonist in scenes Mm -hmm. now one of the things that we were discussing is do you have to have an antagonist in your book so what do you think well I think 
at least for my books, mm-hmm. I have to have an antagonist. I wrote romantic right. suspense. Um, it they are active. They are mm-hmm. an active part. That's what right. suspense is about. Mm-hmm. Um, a mystery, perhaps, is one where you're solving something that already happened, and you don't have an active antagonist. But in a suspense, mm-hmm. you have an active antagonist. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And you have to have that. Right. Now, I kind of think. My general view on it is, and again, I don't have any answers because what the hell do I know? Anyway, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just feeling my way through it. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think that for most stories, it's interesting that you bring up mystery because we didn't talk about that earlier. But right. for most stories, you need to have an antagonist. The antagonist is either, you know, they say that there's three basic um, lines. There's man versus nature, man versus himself, and man versus man. Right. So, um, so there's always an antagonist. There's always a force pushing against your protagonist. And that's Mm -hmm. what makes your protagonist. People don't change fundamentally without somebody pushing them without basically being left without a choice. And Mm -hmm. in order for you to not have a choice, for your character to not have a choice, somebody has to be pushing them. Mm-hmm. Something, some force, some something has to be pushing them. So right. I think that every book does need an antagonist, but mysteries, Are now that's an interesting twist. Because essentially, who is your protagonist in the mystery? Your protagonist is, is whoever solving the mystery. Sherlock Holmes, right? Right, right. The antagonist... See, that's, that's a little difficult the because... killed somebody else. Because the thing about antagonists right. is that they push against the protagonist. Mm-hmm. But then if the protagonist is solving a mystery... Right. Then first of all, first of all, with a mystery, the protagonist does not, in a mystery, does not need to change from beginning to end. They exactly. do not fundamentally change. It's they do not. They stay the same. Mm-hmm. So are they more an observer... Of the story, that the story is the murderer versus the that the, the protagonist murdered. is the victim, right? And the antagonist is the murderer, yeah. And then the um, then the person, the Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes of the book or whatever, is, is almost the narrator, the yeah. A third person, right? External narrating mm-hmm. exer- observer, yeah. That's Unless interesting. you've got a situation where the villain doesn't want them to figure out in which case you've got an action adventure if the villain right. doesn't want them to figure out it's no yes. longer a mystery then it, like a well, Stephanie then Plum, it's a spe- then, then, then it's a suspense then it's a suspense so in a right. mystery I think that a mystery is an interesting mm-hmm. twist on that because it's more of a puzzle book rather than a story right. and we talked a little bit about different types of stories being mm-hmm. different types of stories mm-hmm. um, you have stories that are growth stories right. um, which you is have man st- versus himself right but you story. also have stories like Forrest Gump where right. the character, the main character, really does not change right. tremendously from the beginning to the end. However, it's more of a life story. Well, that's a that's kind of a life right. saga kind of thing. I mean, the Forrest Gump exactly. story. But then again, okay, now the Forrest Gump story. Can you apply the mystery model to that? And that he's sort of he's the one unchanging link right. through the whole story, where everybody else where he arcs. almost is a narrator. Of the story, an of the uh, yeah, Not an observer, narrator, yeah, an observer in that right. story. So right. that's interesting because we hadn't really talked about mm-hmm. that before when we were talking about it. But um, but yeah. see, now I would love, by the way, Whiffers, <laughs> uh, we should open up something on the forums where you guys can discuss this because yeah, really, I mean, I I'm still kind of developing my theory mm-hmm. on all these things and how all these things work. Right. And so it's really interesting to hear um, differing opinions. And honestly, I need somebody to disagree with me <laughs> for me to figure out what I think. Otherwise, see, and again. Because you need somebody pushing against you. That's right. Like, I cannot figure out what I think about something until I have to argue We need an antagonist. Somebody. Right. We need an antagonist. So if you guys disagree with us, come and be our antagonist on the boards. We'll open up an antagonist thread after the podcast. Well, and what we uh, what we were talking about earlier was we kind of went through a lot of movies that we knew and we had seen together. Um, or Well, not together, but we had but both, both seen. seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
um, to discuss um, you know who the protagonists, the antagonists were. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go through just a few of those right. and and see what you think. Um, Scrooge. Okay, now Scrooge. Mm-hmm. Here we have a situation where there is an antagonist. There's somebody pushing against him. Right. But it's essentially four different people because in the beginning it's mostly Bob Cratchit mm-hmm. who is asking for time off for Christmas Day, and Scrooge right. is saying no. And Scrooge actually here's an interesting thing where we've got a protagonist who is actually a villain. Antagonist does not necessarily mean a villain. Right. There's the benevolent antagonist, mm-hmm. the person like uh, I have a ex and the single girl. The story I wrote, her mother is the antagonist. Her mother loves her, mm-hmm. but is completely crossing her. Wants on everything. different things for her. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So the mother um, serves not as a story antagonist, but as kind of an arc antagonist. Now here we've got four arc antagonists. Right. So that they are antagonists only for that arc. The first arc is who he is in the present, mm-hmm. and there's um, the antagonism of you should be celebrating, enjoying Christmas, and Christmas mm-hmm. is about family. Mm-hmm. Where Scrooge is like, no, 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 no. Right. So that. That's the first arc antagonist. And the second yeah. arc antagonist is when he goes home and he sees Jacob Marley. Mm-hmm. Right? So Jacob Marley is like, Scrooge, you must listen. Ah, and he's all in yeah. chains. Don't be who I was. Ah. <laughs> Depending on which version of the story you're watching or reading. And um, so then the next arc antagonist is the ghost of Christmas past. past. Right. Um, Where you go back and you see why Scrooge is the way that he is. Right. What 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 formed him? And does he change? Like, honestly, it's been so long since I've read the story. He doesn't I've really seen change. So many I think versions. Of I it, think but. he remembers and he understands. But he sees the girl maybe. that he loved, though. I think that that does affect right. him. I think that that what that does is that opens up his heart. So at the beginning yes. of that arc, his heart is completely closed, and at the mm-hmm. end, he's remembering the woman that he had loved right. and lost. I, so think, I think he starts to a, realize what his decisions in the past, right. how they affected him now right and right. so then we've got the um ghost of christmas present, present that shows right him which of course yes. tugs on the heartstrings that have just been open oh sure and he sees how mm-hmm. you know the way he's been behaving has affected this family right um and then there's the ghost of uh christmas future, future. which says basically you know you're gonna die you're gonna die and nobody's gonna care nobody's gonna care, nobody's right. gonna miss you mm-hmm. yeah and so that's right. what finalizes that arc mm-hmm. for him and that he can so actually that's five antagonists five mm-hmm. arc antagonists yeah but no one single antagonist for the whole book right but they're all working together but they're all working toward the same end yes which is to change him which which is to change although him, right. not consciously in collusion mm-hmm. because bob cratchit has no idea that these ghosts are right you know the three right. ghosts and jacob marley i think you can say are all kind of in it together right you know that they've been planning this for a while like what are we going to do to scrooge mm-hmm. to mess with well, him, well what happens with bob cratchit is mm-hmm. that it gives scrooge um a a resol- uh, uh, an area to um, to change into, right? It gives him an application to show right. the change, you to know, show the change exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. But okay. um, but I find that really interesting because there's you know there are arguments that mm-hmm. you need, and again, it's not that you know you have to do it this way because it's writing. You can do it however you want, you right? Know? Um, right. But that you will get a stronger story mm-hmm. if you have one main story antagonist and this is not an antagonist that has to be in every scene mm. but the but the fight the struggle that that main story antagonist represents does need to be there in every scene right and right. so um for example like the wizard of oz okay yeah the wizard of oz now you've got Very the clear. wicked witch mm-hmm. of the west and right. that is, and, and what's really funny about that is that's become actually some very symbolic of your classic villain, you right. know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I'm pretty sure my kids have called me that at some point. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> the Wicked Witch of my mom. Uh, oh, gosh. But 
the uh, but that's a very classic very from beginning to end right and the yeah. thing is one of the things that's um, very interesting about that example too is that it involves a conflict lock mm-hmm. now the conflict lock if you really want to know what the conflict lock is go to Jenny Cruzy's site mm. because she's, she's the one who told me about it I still don't you know quite get it. but basically what it is is that um, you have an antagonist and a protagonist and they are locked in a conflict where if one of them achieves their goal the other one has to lose that they have mutually exclusive goals so in the situation with the wizard of oz the conflict lock is that dorothy has the shoes Mm. and the witch wants the shoes Mm -hmm. and it's all about the shoes so if one of them has the shoes the other one loses that there's no way that they can both win in that circumstance. Right. So somebody right. has to lose. So that's essentially, I mean, that's a very simple, you know, go to Jenny Cruz's site, I have links <laughs> on the thing. She, she can explain it much, much better than I ever will. But I mean, essentially that is my understanding of the conflict lock is that they, right. is that there's no compromise. There's no, it's black or white. Mm-hmm. One of them has to win and one of them has to lose. They cannot both win. Right. So that's the situation with that. Well, and what's interesting is that really is very classic man versus man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. type of um, absolutely yeah mm-hmm. uh, antagonist um, and and other examples of of man versus man we have finding Nemo finding Nemo right. now that's Nemo's journey so it's it's Nemo against Darla right right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh, in Marlin's case mm-hmm. it's Marlin versus um, the world Marlin, isn't yeah it? Isn't yeah it's, it's really he's I think it is yeah world. I think I don't it's, know if it's himself na- I don't know if nature is thwarting him so much as himself mm. because in every scene with Marlin he's always he's going forward because it's his son mm-hmm. but he's afraid of everything right you know so right. his conflict in there is you know I have to go I have to save Nemo mm-hmm. but this whole wide world out here is very frightening you know and, right. and dangerous and um, right. and he is about to give up a couple of times but mm-hmm. Dory's there to kind of keep him going right so. Another example is Romancing the Stone, where right. a very classic, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Joan versus the kidnappers mm-hmm. and the general. But it's also, Jack also plays a small antagonistic role in that. But I think he's a scene antagonist, though, because he isn't right. working toward the ends of... And that's the thing. We're going to talk about that in a mm-hmm. little bit, as a scene antagonist versus a story antagonist. Right, right. So your story antagonist in Romancing the Stone is, you mm-hmm. know, Joan versus the um, the guys who kidnapped her sister. Right. And also, and then, you know, Captain Zolo is the, yeah, that's is the, the guy. big, yeah. the big mm-hmm. bad. So there's the big a mini bad. bad, and then there's a big bad. <laughs> and a lot of times you will have, um, like, there's the antagonist, the main story antagonist, which is Captain Zolo, because he's the one who... Really really poses the most threat right you know because he's, he's after the really the most he's dangerous really the most evil one mm-hmm. there um whereas danny devito and his brother are just screw-ups but they're kind mm-hmm. of sub antagonists where they continue to push the story forward that gets her into the conflict with the big antagonist with right the story antagonist right um so um so that i find really interesting but that's another you know man versus man do we have any other right. man versus man on there uh we actually do independence day which is man right. versus aliens however the aliens represent Present man a part of man, a, an emotional, um, an, an emotionally emotional equivalent that they have of man. the intelli- intelligence right. to. Because one of the things about antagonists is that you have to have an active antagonist who, when the protagonist zigs, the antagonist will zag in response mm-hmm. and continue to fight them. So I think that if you have a situation where you've got an active, conscious antagonist, and again, this is a situation like we were talking about ghosts. Mm-hmm. You know, can ghosts be antagonists because they're dead? But they can if they can actively influence um, what's going on, if they can actively right. cross 
the um, protagonist. Right. But and I think also like, yeah. if they have uh, the consciousness of a man, right. if they it's have like consciousness, an, uh, yes. that intelligence, the yes. ability to, to yeah, the, I think it comes down to the antagonist for a man versus man. The antagonist has to have the desire for the goal, mm-hmm. the will to see it through, right? The consciousness and intelligence to be able to cross the mm-hmm. protagonist actively, right, in getting to the goal. Right. So I think that with aliens, you've got that because mm-hmm. even though they're aliens, it's they're still man versus yeah. man. It's yeah. still the essence right. of man versus right. man. So okay. that's a good one. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk a little bit about man versus nature. And we had a couple of really interesting um, examples of this. Castaway. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, Castaway is a perfect is man versus perfect nature. Perfect example mm-hmm. of that. Because that's all there is. It's yeah. him and the fact that he's on this island and he is, you know, he wants to go home. That is mm-hmm. his goal. But he cannot get home because nature is in the way. He's on this right. island and he can't get off. He's, he's fighting a force that's greater force. than himself. Right. But the force is not consciously right. thwarting him. It is just doing it what it's supposed to do. It is the nature of that force. Yes. So um, man versus nature. What else did we have for man Armageddon. Armageddon, right. There's an asteroid coming to mm-hmm. Earth. It's going to destroy Earth. It's not consciously worried about Bruce Willis. No. Or Ben Affleck, even. <laughs> not consciously concerned with Ben Affleck or even Liv Tyler. But um, but still, it's coming at them. They have to fight it. So that's a man versus nature antagonistic plot. Right, so, right. Mm-hmm. And the last one we have for story uh, antagonist is man versus himself. And we actually came up with a lot of examples of, of this. I was very right. surprised. Mm-hmm. Um Moonstruck. Moonstruck, sure, because Loretta, Loretta goes right. through a huge transformation right. from the beginning of that story to the end. In the beginning, she wants um, safety. She wants what's safe. She doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, she's not going to fight for things or whatever. Right. Um, and then by the end of that story, she is fighting for what she really wanted. Right, right, yeah. exactly. And that's the thing where we were talking about is that it becomes a growth story. When it's a right. growth story where, you're, where your protagonist basically starts out in one place and then goes through a personal journey that brings them to the end point, um, then that's a growth story, in mm-hmm. which case she's her own antagonist because she's created all of her own problems in her mind. The conflict is all internal. And those can actually be a lot of fun. Now, Jenny Cruzy, and again, I'm going to bring up Jenny Cruzy. <laughs> she's the one who taught me everything I know about antagonists, and we fight about this stuff all the time, and she will argue with me on almost all of these points. So definitely go to her site and get her side of the story, because she's probably right. She's usually is. But anyway... <laughs> But for a growth story, you know, like uh, my all my my chiclet novels have mm-hmm. been growth story. All my women's fiction, the, the Time After Good Behavior and Ex and the Single Girl, it's all these um, these women who are at a certain point in their lives where they need to change. Life isn't working with the way that they have been approaching it. So essentially, it's the way that they approach life is not working for them, and that's the push that makes them change which right. is what the growth story is so you've got we had moonstruck we had what else do we have bridget jones diary oh, bridget jones diary yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. under the tuscan sun under the tuscan sun yes i love that movie. i love that movie it's a great movie yes a mm-hmm. lot of uh, literary fiction falls under this category right. too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so it's um and that's actually you know there's a lot of validity to um to that kind of story there's mm-hmm. loads of stories out there that are that are um man versus himself and um growth stories which have sort of a gentler kind of arc to them i mean right. when you've got when you're fighting an asteroid <laughs> how bruce willis feels about himself really isn't what that's about you know no, um when you've got aliens coming to town oh yeah you know, blowing, blowing up your major up, cities right, exactly yeah. you know then it's mm-hmm. not really about will smith's personal internal journey yeah but when the I, and i think it has to do with the balance of the conflict where does does the balance of the conflict fall outside of oneself 
which again and even in those stories there's always an internal arc as well like yes. the person the protagonist no matter what your antagonist situation is right. the protagonist needs to change right. you know drastically well, from the beginning to the end even in independence day will smith um you know wants to become a nasa, a NASA right. astronaut mm-hmm. and they keep telling him you can't become an astronaut if you mm-hmm. marry a stripper right and mm-hmm. so he doesn't marry her but at mm-hmm. the end of the movie he mm-hmm. does because really it right. doesn't matter he has because once you've this. battled aliens from mars <laughs> nasa can bite me right that's right i'm thinking right so you see but it's that external conflict that promotes the internal and i think mm-hmm. that no matter what kind of story you're telling the most compelling part of it is that internal arc that when you see the character the character is different at the end than they were at the beginning and i think that that is the most compelling part of it i think that if you had bruce willis be the same guy at the beginning to Mm -hmm. when he fought the the alien oh actually okay spoiler (laughs) he is really different at the end (laughs) minor spoiler it's very different at the end he's dead but anyway he's dead, yeah. um you but know he sacrifices himself for he's something he's the person right yeah, at the beginning he's right. not the kind of person who would sacrifice no. himself you no. know and so. at the end he does mm-hmm. and that's the kind of person that he becomes so it's it's that internal arc the external arc the external story the external conflict can all feed the internal conflict it no has matter to it has what. to push it has to push right. those buttons so so here's here's the theory that i'm just coming up with off the top of my head and could mm-hmm. be wrong Every story may not need an external conscious antagonist, but mm-hmm. every story absolutely needs the protagonist to change from the beginning to the end. Absolutely. Except for narrator stories. Mm-hmm. Your Forrest Gump, your mystery, your right. Sherlock Holmes. Um, and I think that those stories um, kind of tell, uh, they're really just storytellers. To me, you know? well, mysteries to me, I mean, the thing is that you think about a story and why you tell a story is that it has mm-hmm. to do with what part of human nature in the reader in the viewer in the audience does right. it does it access and i think that most stories are about those transformative times in our lives because we all go through that everybody in your life you know off the top of your head you can think of at least 10 12 15 times that you have completely changed because of circumstances that have come at you and things that have that have happened or or your life just isn't working for you anymore Mm -hmm. you know things just aren't working and you have to change the way that you approach things and i think that that's something that people can really um relate to and that's why we turn to fiction so that we can understand those those times in our lives and kind of process them right but when you've got a narrator story where the narrator is telling a story from a distance, mm-hmm. you know, about this person killed this person, we have to figure out who mm-hmm. that I think doesn't access that same part of us as far right. as trying to understand something. I think that that's a puzzle. That's a puzzle. We just yes. want to figure out the puzzle. Right. To me, that seems like, yeah. and I don't want to say like, you know, mysteries don't have value as stories or whatever as storytellers. And I think that I think when, you, when you do it really well, I, yeah, I like love, your Kinsey Milhelm. And I puzzles. Your, kin, your Sue Grafton, A is for alibi, B mm-hmm. is for butter, whatever it was that she did. Um, yeah. The whole, like Kinsey Milhone is a fascinating, flawed character mm-hmm. but i only read like the first four or five of them you mm. know because I, I i couldn't handle the there's a scene in there or, or a memory that she has of what happened to her when she was a little kid that i could never get past and i could mm. never deal with that but um but they were good they were interesting i was mm-hmm. really interested in um in kinsey's character but i mean i don't know have you read those the super no. okay no. so whiffers you answer this for me does <laughs> does kinsey milhone 
change? Does she arc mm. in each one of those stories so that she's slightly different at the beginning than she's at the end, or is that just basically a narrator puzzle story? You know, and what's the difference? Was, you know, I, I think it's really, really difficult unless you, as the author, make a um, an effort to have a series character, mm -hmm. you know, unless you plan out that arc right. in mm -hmm. every book, right. I think that's very difficult oh, to do. I it mean, is. You have and I think to that's why so few, so few people actually do. I'm trying to think mm -hmm. of a series. In TV, it happens like Buffy. Buffy's right. an excellent example of how this is done well in series. You know I'm going to talk about Buffy. <laughs> oh, oh, Sam's here. I can make her watch Buffy today. Um, <laughs> But uh, you might have to ply me with wine. Right, I might have to give her a little <laughs> more wine first. Um, but I mean, I think it's it's extremely, extremely difficult to do. Like if you look mm -hmm. at Stephanie Plum, right? She's very funny. The stories funny. are funny. Yeah. But Stephanie Plum has not changed mm -mm. from the beginning until I stopped reading at like ten. I think that was a, yeah. there was a point where I was no. like, you know what? She blowing up another car does not interest me because mm -hmm. nothing's changing. You know, it's all the same kind of thing. So I don't know if she's arced at all or if those stories right. have gotten better since then. But um, but I mean, basically, like I I think that. Um, I'm interested to see what the whiffers think. Mm. You know what what their thoughts are on the narrator story and yeah. and that person changing the purpose. Because right. to me, like I like the mysteries. I've enjoyed mysteries and I've read a few of them. But there's a certain point where I've tired of them because figuring out the puzzle is not as engaging to me as the psychology behind that mm -hmm. art. But I think for a lot of people, and especially if you get somebody who can write a mystery really well, yeah, and who can throw out all oh, those. Oh, I love the mysteries. Your, I yeah. love the puzzle. Yes, yeah, I mean I like to solve the puzzle. Yeah, the puzzle. Yeah. Solving the puzzle. Does not because you're actually much. with you're there with and mm -hmm. with the with the person the observer right. you're observing what they observe uh -huh. it's almost like a game right where you try mm -hmm. to figure out who done it you know and I so. think that that I mean obviously mm -hmm. has huge appeal oh because yeah. mysteries have been around you know for Forever. a while and so yeah. it's, it's really interesting mm -hmm. to me but I mean I'm interested in what the um you know, where is the antagonist in there? Is the antagonist the murderer? You know, I mean, mm. or is the antagonist, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think it's interesting to see it in, in the different right. kind of stories. So, you know, yeah, the, the Sue Graftons, if, if Kinsey mm -hmm. Milhone arcs in those at all, then I think it's an internal story as well, which I think right. if a mystery writer can do that, where they can write the stories and then arc their narrator mm. at the same time now, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Yes, all I right. agree. So right. what else do we have? All right. Well, that's it for pretty for much the story for, antagonist. Yeah, mm -hmm. for, for story antagonist. So we're going we're gonna to talk Get about the murky scene, waters of scene antagonist. Scene antagonist. Mm -hmm. Very murky. And yes. we had, we actually like uh, talked about this quite a bit. Uh -huh. And one of the things that we agreed on mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. that the scene antagonist provides the push. Right. Mm -hmm. And now the scene antagonist, and we talked about this. Okay, it could be a phone call. But however, phone call is from a person. You know, a letter is from a person. It's all initiated well, by a person. Well, there's information. However, right. Mm -hmm. However, if your protagonist goes to the library and finds, uh, discovers a piece of information in a book that was written 100 years ago, uh -huh. is that author the antagonist? Is that author the antagonist for that? It's not well, really. Here's, here's what I think. Okay, basically, he, the only thing that I really think, the only theory I have on, on scenes is that every scene your main character whoever the pov of that scene is and your the pov can mm -hmm. be your antagonist you know so whoever right. owns that scene you, you know you kind of got to get out of you've got story antagonist and the big picture mm -hmm. antagonist but i mean if you're writing a scene from the pov of your villain for that scene the villain is the protagonist yeah. for that scene yeah. you know so i mean you have to kind of think about the scenes as individual but a scene is an individual unit of conflict right you know that there's some kind of conflict which insinuates that there needs to be 
an antagonist there. Mm-hmm. Now, do I don't think that you need to have, and Jenny Cruz will kill me for this. Luckily, <laughs> I don't think she listens. I don't think she listens to the podcast, which is good. We fight about this a lot, Jenny and me. Um, but I don't think that you need an actual physical antagonist for every single scene because right. the what you need to accomplish is that there is conflict and the conflict can be internal. Mm-hmm. In which case, yes, technically the protagonist is their own is their antagonist. Own antagonist and correct. so then maybe right. you know, maybe I'm talking in circles mm-hmm. there and technically yes, it does have an antagonist. <laughs> but um, but like okay, this this example where somebody goes to a library and they discover um, information. Right. So now they have information that they did not have before. But, yeah. And what's interesting, though, is that information is really only important to them. Right. So it is how the character reacts to the information. So in that case, can you argue that it is man versus himself? In that particular, for that scene. Right. It could be. I mean, it, it could definitely be. could be. I think that maybe it is a mm-hmm. man versus himself in that thing. Right. Okay, here's a question. Mm-hmm. You've got a scene you're going to write, and basically you know that in this scene, your protagonist needs to uncover some information that is going to change them. Mm-hmm. Is that information, is that scene stronger if they have an antagonist, a live person, deliver that information as opposed to they go to the library, they read it, and then they discover it. Right. I would argue yes. Mm. That if the if they need to get information, there's a number of ways you can get information. But, but the other thing is, mm-hmm. I mean, if you bring another person in and you have another character involved in there, mm-hmm. so you have the protagonist, you have the antagonist, you might have some other people involved or whatever, does that take away, if it's a really huge discovery and it rocks mm-hmm. your protagonist, mm-hmm. does it take away from the scene if you just throw in an antagonist, a physical antagonist, an antagonist just for antagonist's sake? For antagonist's right. sake. An antagonist yes. for antagonist's sake. Is that a bad idea? Is that a bad idea? And I think it, I I think it really depends on how uh, powerful that information is. If mm-hmm. your antagonist is in the library and they're tr- they found something in a 100-year-old book and all of a sudden, it, or, I mean the protagonist. Right, the, the protagonist. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, is in there and all of a sudden an antagonist shuts off all the lights in the library. Right. Boom, you've got a real, you know, that's very. But, but somebody's taking action in that scene as opposed right. to she goes, she sits down, exactly. she reads the information and then However, the scene. or if she goes in, she finds information that radically, fundamentally changes her life. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you need the antagonist in there to make any to rock her any more than she is? Right. Because the antagonist becomes an external conflict. Mm-hmm. That's the external part. And of in it. storytelling, I think it's always a bad idea. Yeah. To do something just to say you did it. Right. You know? I think you have to find that balance. You do. You do. Yeah. And whether every scene needs, you know, a physical external antagonist. I would argue no, that mm. not every scene does need that. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, you think about what makes a stronger scene. I mean, I think that if you talk about somebody goes into a library, sits down, reads something. I mean, good God, is there that's anything more boring, boring than reading about yeah, somebody reading boring. something, you know? But at the same time, if that information mm-hmm. is something that fundamentally changes it's, if it's who like they a are, point for if it's a turning point for that character where they discover huge. that, that can be really right. huge. So I don't right. know. I mean, I honestly, 
don't come down on either side. I'm, mm. I'm kind of at this point for myself, just sort of still asking that question about how, right. you know, how does that scene become stronger? And I think that for me, I've only been able to answer that question scene by scene right. on an individual basis. This particular character in this particular situation, it will be stronger mm-hmm. if I do this. And, and then I try to go that way. Right. And what's interesting is as you're writing, you're going to know if a scene is not working. Now, you may not know why the scene isn't working, and it might take you a while to realize that either that scene does not move the character forward, there's no new information, whatever, um, and that could be the reason why that scene's not working. And, right. and, and, and you know that on an instinctual basis, but to figure out why it's not working, that's one of the hardest things I think any writer can do. It's so hard, and I think that's why, you know, there are a lot of people who feel that overanalyzing all of this story structure and antagonists and all this kind of stuff can be um, distracting, and I think that it can. I know that mm-hmm. I wrote my first three, four books Without, without thinking knowing. about any yeah. of this. I don't think about any of it. But <laughs> okay. I also struggled a lot more. I mean, I think that eventually mm-hmm. I came up against the same, I think I would have come to the same or very similar solutions had I had this information. But I think that the journey there would have been a lot easier on me as a writer if I had understood this stuff back then. Now, the thing is that I'm not sure I would be the writer I am if I had understood it. You know, I think that you struggle through these stories and that's how you kind of learn what makes you the writer that you are and what works for you. So I think that there are different phases that you need to go through in your writing. And some people write very successfully, very Mm -hmm. well, completely feeling their way through it. They never think about any of this. I did. My first, my first five books. Oh yeah. Yeah, I I didn't even think about it. I suffered though. (laughs) I'll tell you, I'll tell you the difference. I didn't start thinking about this stuff really seriously. I mean, I've been hanging out with Jenny Cruzy for years. You know, Mm -hmm. I've been on Cherry forums. I've been doing everything. But until we started working together and she was like, oh no, <laughs> you know, like I'll land in a scene and she will ask me all these questions and make me answer them, which is good because mm-hmm. I'm learning a lot from it. But I will tell you something. I wrote Crazy in Love before I started working with Jenny Cruzy and it almost killed me last year. It was so hard because I struggled through all this stuff and I didn't understand it on a conscious level. I had to kind of feel my way through everything. It's kind of like being in a room right. that's it takes dark. Longer. You have to hold your it hands out and find every It takes a lot longer, step. yeah. You know, yeah. and then I did... Um, the next book, Wish You Were Here, um, this year, you know, mm-hmm. it's what I, the one I just finished. And um, understanding all of this, I think I would have written the same story given the opportunity, you know, to do it with that. <laughs> but it went so much faster and it was so much easier on me. So I really yeah. have to say, having experienced it both ways, mm. I am such a convert now. <laughs> you know, and of course, Jenny loves it because I'm like, you were right. <laughs> You know, well, and it does actually help a lot. It makes you write faster, I think, if you understand those those kind of um, those guidelines. Right. You know, pirates and, have I mean, guidelines. St- we right, so exactly. do writers. Pirates make guidelines. <laughs> writers should have them. But I mean, I think that um, you know what's what's interesting too is that it's a creative process I think that there's a resistance when you're a creative person Mm. to rules because you think that you know you're just doing the same thing anybody can do it I know well what's funny is we were just you were doing your knitting I was doing my crocheting and we were both talking about how we just design our own patterns Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because god forbid that we actually open up a book Uh (laughs) well you know I started with that though with the knitting I did I started looking at patterns and I would do the patterns and I would learn Mm -hmm. it and then now that I've learned it I I really like to design on the needles because there's certain things I want to vary mm-hmm. from whatever it is that I want to do. Right. And so, but I need those basic stitches. I need to understand the stitches in order to mm-hmm. do that. And right. 
the it's thing a, that I, I think it's about it's the same thing with writing yeah you know the thing that i've noticed is that i had that resistance to understanding how all these you know pieces worked um because I thought it would inhibit my creativity, but actually I feel like I'm actually right. able to go further with my creativity. Faster. Be faster and mm. easier. Oh my God, yeah. easier. A lot less painful. So yeah. much less painful. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I have to say like, I'm total convert. <laughs> I don't understand all of it yet. Right. But I believe in the importance of understanding, mm -hmm. at least for me. But I, you know, I also believe that there are some people who write without any of this stuff. And it works for them, right, and they do books, great, yeah. and they're happy. For me, I had to change mm. because I was my own antagonist. Right, right. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, for me, I'm finding that it is a lot easier for me if I've got these uh, kind of guidelines for me to work within. So I'm, right. you know, I'm completely converted. Right. I still don't get it. <laughs> I, there's so much of it. I still I think don't it get. takes. I, I don't I'm think the there's material here. I think it's one of those things where you mm -hmm. never. I mean, writing is one of those things where you're never going to have all the answers well, ever, no matter how so long fun, you. Right? Yeah. yeah. Which is, which is actually a great part about writing. So it's the part that it's it, it's the part that really keeps me going because uh -huh, I, I know that every book and every struggle and every time I say I'm not a good enough writer to do that, and I I do it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it makes you stronger. It makes you a better writer. It does, mm -hmm. and it's it's really really fun. So yeah. I mean, I find that I think that I need to have different challenges as I right. go. And uh, and so for me, learning all of this stuff kind of gives me new territory mm -hmm. to play in, you know. So, yeah. But, well, and um, I think if you go into a field that doesn't have any concrete answers, where there's not a you know on and off uh, right. switch, where mm -hmm. there's where, where things are not black and white, right. that um, that you go in there knowing that you're going to be challenged. Right. Exactly. You know? and it's going to be and it's, it's going to be tough. Yeah, which I think right. makes it great. So I don't. Was there anything else we want to talk about with antagonists? I think that's it. All right. Well, we need to open up something on the Whiffer Forum so yeah, that everybody else can get in there. Right. I'm telling you, arguing <laughs> arguing craft, whether you come to a final decision about what you believe or not, mm -hmm. <laughs> is the most valuable way to learn your way around it. So. That's right. All righty. Well, that wraps up another C block in the same room. The same room. <laughs> Must have more wine. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> Flynn Daly needs a drink. Under pressure from her father, she's agreed to move out of her South Boston neighborhood and run the inn left to her by her dead aunt. The problem? It's in the middle of upstate New York where there's nature and bugs and no public transportation. The cute bartender keeps giving her attitude and she's getting visits from her Aunt Esther, even though she's dead. Jake Tucker needs a break. He's sure that Esther Goodhouse was murdered, but he can't find any proof. If cozying up to Esther's niece gets him the information he needs, so be it. But once he gets close to Flynn, he decides that some investigations are more fun with a partner. Crazy in Love by Lonnie Diane Rich. In stores now. Thanks for coming back. I'm Samantha Graves. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. In the same room! Yay! <laughs> this is more right for wine. In the same room. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Want to win some great prizes? Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> Head on down to WillWriteForWine.com and give us some feedback. We're looking for questions, wine suggestions, or just general commentary on the show. 
Each month, all eligible entries will go into a wine bucket. bucket. At the end of the month, <laughs> we'll pull a name out of the bucket to bucket. win a fabulous prize. <laughs> For December, we have a signed copy of Sight Unseen by Samantha Graves and an official Will Write for Wine refrigerator yes, magnet. Yes, which I just got for Christmas from So Sam. cool. I so know. cool. <laughs> All you have to do to enter is send us an email at feedback at willwriteforwine.com mm-hmm. or comment on our website or participate in the forums. Mm-hmm. We will announce the December winner on our first January show. Mm-hmm. So send us your comments and suggestions. Suggestions now. And up next, we have the weekly weigh-in. That goes so much better when we're in the same room. It really does. Solani, how'd you do this week? Oh, this week I have done 40 pages of fresh material for Dogs and Goddesses. We are pedal to the metal on this and we're trying to get the whole you, book done. Oh my God, it you have been, been cranking so much it out. Cranking so it out. Fun. Well, we go yeah. through and we write it and then we give it to each other. And we all tear it apart, and then we rewrite it, and then we give it to each other, and we all tear it apart, and then we rewrite it. So really, it's like you wrote like a hundred pages. Well, no, mostly, <laughs> mostly what I've done. I think I revised two of this. I wrote three scenes total, and mm. I revised two of them. Um, and then the third one, I'm still kind of waiting on. It's a big turning point scene, so we all uh, kind of have to get there and sort of figure out where all of our girls are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in this uh, scenes, so it's kind of really more very very rough draft. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because we're all sharing it at very rough stages like you know how you write right. and it's yeah. really rough oh, and you're like nobody yeah. sees it except oh, for me yeah. you know nobody it's like my it. own mm-hmm. personal white cotton mm-hmm. underwear you know with the holes <laughs> in it and the loose elastic you know and then uh, we send it out we're like okay it's really really rough I'm a better writer than this I swear you know we all understand <laughs> but yet we've all got this like thing yeah. where we're just like I'm better than yeah. this I swear you know yeah um but so we're doing all the rough drafts so we're getting the second act down and it has been a load of fun I'm cool. really happy I've never had so much fun writing a book as I do in this collaboration and I've never awesome ever thought I would be in a collaboration it's just sort of something that that happened to me mm-hmm. you know and um it's been fabulous I'm just good. really having a good time yeah. good awesome. how about you I did 208 pages on my copy edits for Out of Time this week, right? I'm actually pretty happy with it, although I I was driving up here, and I'm like... (laughs) I already have things. I'm like, wait a minute. I have to fix that. I have to fix that. You know, because I am the most, I I am such a perfectionist. You really are. So I really, Mm -hmm. I know I am, and I try not to be. And the only time I'm really not is when I drink. So (laughs) she hangs out with me, and I'm like, screw it. It's good enough. But still, you know, copy edits are kind of the last, I mean, it's not the last, last, you know, chance you get, but it is the last chance to to, to make any major anything. changes, yeah, significant. right? Significant. So, I mean, right. And the galleys yeah. are supposed to be for changes for like punctuation, and you know, printer, words, printer things, yeah, things missing like words, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, so it takes a long time for me to get through copy edits. Right. Now that said, it's due on Monday. I Ooh. still have 180 pages. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck to you wow. on that. <laughs> But I always find that my first 200 pages are so uh, much rougher. Right. And then as soon as I hit like the midpoint, Uh it it just kind of flies after that. And everything's clean. Uh And I don't know if I write it faster or what happens. But it's much better. I think things always move faster at Mm -hmm. the midpoint. I mean, in in a book. Like I... I would say that easily 40% of my writing time is spent on the first act. Oh, yeah. You know, and the first scene. I know. The first 100 pages. 
first because hundred pages so much are the you worst. Have to establish the world mm-hmm. and get the story moving, and then after that, you kind of get a groove, right? You know, you sort of groove through the rest of it. But it right. definitely takes a long time to get mm-hmm. started, which I think is why Nano is so great, right? Because it doesn't give you, it doesn't let you, it yeah. doesn't allow you to sit there and sweat <laughs> the first hundred pages. <laughs> Oh gosh. Okay. Well, right. now it's time for this week's random etc., where we do whatever we feel like because it's our show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this week we are doing random Google searches. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And the phrase I searched was, "I hate the holidays because." And yep, there's definitely a language alert here. So right. get the kitties out of the room <laughs> kitties in your because boss. this if you're is Google. <laughs> Turn it off now and wait till you drive home. That's right. So we're going to read each of these and then guess who said it. (laughs) All right. Okay. You go first. Okay. The first one is it makes customers go apeshit. (laughs) So we decided what? That that was Chuck? Chuck. From NBC. Uh huh. (laughs) I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and the next one is, I always manage to get sick, ah, which is pretty much all of us. Pretty much all of us, right, <laughs> this time of year. Oh, gosh. We are consistently bombarded with spend, 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 party, 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 and what's the problem with that? <laughs> I know, that's communist? what I'm thinking. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so- Should we apologize to the communists? Oh, I'm crap. joking. <laughs> it was a joke. Communists are lovely communists people. Communists and Nazis, I yeah. look great in red. <laughs> say it once (laughs) Sam's got a little apology list yeah yeah Mm -hmm. okay the next one is it turns me into a raging Scrooge (laughs) well duh Scrooge Scrooge right (laughs) jeez oh because of the giant cars filling parking lots now who is this person where there are giant cars I don't know it's probably got to be somebody with a small car somebody with a small car but maybe a hybrid you can fit everywhere I think if you're driving the giant car that's when you got issues oh maybe that's it it's a bus driver I I have a van (laughs) I have a van and let me tell you trying to squeeze in forget it all right. Uh, the next one is, it is the first big lie parents tell their children. Oh, and this one is so easy. Yeah. It's someone who doesn't have children. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Somebody who's still a child. Please. The best Hello? thing you can do for your children is lie, 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 That's lie. That's right. And use that. Use Santa for the whole month of December to get them right. to behave. I mean, jeez. Honestly, yeah. we have so few tools available to us. We can't beat them with a belt anymore like our parents did. Don't let you do that. Okay, joking, 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 joking. I don't yes. think child abuse is cool. It's no, not cool. no, 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 no. All right, okay. uh, you're supposed to feel happy at Christmas, and if you don't feel happy, then you think something's wrong with you. Which is written by somebody who who has something wrong with them. Wrong with them. <laughs> Which is really sad. You know what? I mean, Christmas, it, it, uh, the holidays are supposed to actually be a time of giving right. and 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 not so much receiving. I think the people who aren't happy are the people who don't receive. But you know what? It's yeah. the giving. But you know, I mean, I think that a lot of people get depressed around the holidays because I think it highlights. Because there's this whole ideal of, mm. like, the kids and the parents and you're sitting right. by the fire and you're right. doing things. And I think that if you if you can't find a way to adjust that ideal to what mm-hmm. works for you. Right. You know, because, like, Fish and I don't really do, like, the whole – we don't do the whole big <laughs> meal where we cook because the kids won't eat it anyway. Right. You know, our perfect Christmas is you wake up in the morning, the kids come out, they tear the place apart, everything's a mess, and then we start drinking at noon. Yeah. You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> so we've adjusted the perfect vision. You have to adjust. You have to adjust absolutely have for to you adjust. rather than trying to adjust yourself. So I think that these are people who so. are trying to adjust themselves mm-hmm. to what they feel is expected of them rather than making Christmas the day that they would like it to be. That's right. So yeah. there we go. Yeah. Okay. And the next this. one. Oh, is this me? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll drink. Okay. Um, it means everything closes. <laughs> I think that's the um, Becky Bloomwood from the Shopaholic. <laughs> I guess they can't stand for one day. Okay. Bloomingdale's is closed and they're That's freaking right. out. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next one is family and relatives buy me crap I don't want. Oh, that's Hello? just ungrateful. Well, I know. They went out and they Hello. bought you something. And even if it's crap. They bought it for you. They, they, they gave it, it to you. It's the gesture that matters. Yes. So that's the problem. You don't like if it, you we don't, gift if, it. It's not the, <laughs> if, the, if the actual gift matters to you more than the gesture, yes. then you're never going to be happy. That's right. That's so, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um, I'm forced to spend time with my family. <laughs> hey, deal with it. We all do. <laughs> <laughs> that's everybody. <laughs> all right and the last one is my humans dress me up in ridiculous antlers antlers and santa hats that I would be oliver <laughs> sam's cat oliver who suffers through all this stuff i know poor cat well, well happy holidays oh there yeah. we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right well, we're gonna take a quick break and we will be right back Well, the show's almost over, and I'm sure you're really sad about that. But now you don't have to wait another week to hear from Sam and Lonnie because we've got websites open 24-7 and ready when you are, morning, noon, or night. For Lonnie, be sure to stop by the newly redesigned LonnieDianeRich.com where Lonnie's latest books and news will be regularly updated. Right, Lonnie? Also, don't forget to drop by dogsandgoddesses.com, where Lonnie is collaborating live on the web with New York Times bestsellers Jennifer Cruzy and Ann Stewart. It's like a reality show with writers, which is really much more interesting than it sounds. So check it out. For more information on Sam, click your way on over to samanthagraves.com for her latest news and giveaways. I think she's better about updating. Yeah, that's right. There are also links to her blog, her MySpace page, and the website for her alter ego, C.J. Barry author of award-winning futuristic romances and don't forget to stop by at willwriteforwine.com for links to our joint myspace page our cafe press store and all the cool things we talk about during the show by the time you're done with all that we'll be back in a new podcast next week everybody plays and everybody wins oh is it me yes oh crap <laughs> Well, it's time for the last call here in Well Right for Wine. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us. Oh, keep sending in those wine suggestions because obviously we need more. <laughs> Feedback at willwriteforwine.com or in the comments on the website or in the forums. Send mm-hmm. good wine suggestions to Sam. Me. Send cheap wine suggestions to me. Bonnie. <laughs> and as you can tell, we did break into the second bottle right? of wine. Okay. <laughs> Just so you know. Uh, also, don't miss our cool Cafe Press store where you can get all sorts of fun Will Write for Wine merchandise. Like a refrigerator magnet. Yeah, yeah. Be among the cool people. Right. <laughs> the link can be found on the right-hand column at the website at willwriteforwine.com. Yes, and if you're buying wine anyway, don't forget mm. to try the link on our website to mywinesdirect.com, which will send the UPS oh. man to your door with wine. Or yeah. to any friend's door with a wonderful and thoughtful holiday gift. Wine <laughs> and the UPS guy. My UPS guy at the old place was yeah. Irish. 
Oh. And he had this lovely accent. Oh. Plus the UPS uniform, which I don't know why know. that's sexy, but it just is. Our UPS guy is so cute. Oh, God. He really is. See, mine, mine now really is very cute. nice, but he's yeah. not Irish. Oh. He's not Irish. Mm. And I'll tell you, if the Irish guy came to my door with wine... <laughs> That's the trifecta, I'm telling you. Um, anyway, uh, also, if you've enjoyed the show, I'm trying to catch my stuff mm-hmm. in that. I got all uh, hot and bothered about my Irish. <laughs> uh, if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to vote for us at Podcast Alley or review us at iTunes. Right. Next week's show will be a movie Yay! night. Well, maybe a TV night. <laughs> we are going to talk about classic holiday shows, The Grinch, Charlie Brown, Rudolph, Frosty, why we love them, and what we can learn right, from them. Right. Some classic storytelling there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So until next time, this is Sam. And this is Lonnie saying if you can't write for money, then write for why. In the same room. In the same room. <laughs> <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> Will Rye for Wine is brought to you each week by Lonnie Diane Rich and Samantha Graves. Be sure to hit the website at willwriteforwine.com where you can find great links to everything in the show, news about what the girls are up to, and links to great cafe press merchandise like t-shirts, hats, and mugs. I like the apron myself. Also, don't forget to friend them on MySpace at myspace.com slash willwriteforwine. Music provided by the good folks at the Podsafe Music Network, music.com. Podshow.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and go vote for Lonnie and Sam at Podcast Alley or write a glowing review at iTunes. Remember, there's good karma out there. Vote for them at Podcast Alley. Come back next time as Johnny Depp's soulmate. Perhaps Colin first. Mmm. Ring any bells? Or, you know, the, the soulmate, whoever does it for you. You get the point. Anyway, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time right here on Will Write for Wine.